Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes. This is a video version. We are live in Scranton, Pennsylvania. This isn't live. Uh, we are joined not by Jory, uh, our fourth member of the panel, disappeared off the grid, completely off the radar. Jory, if you're watching, we hope you're okay. Yeah, thoughts and prayers to Jory, guys. He's going through a lot right now, but... We are joined by, uh, if you watched our Star Wars ranking, friend of the show, Noah. Glad to be here. Um... I'm dressed as Donnie from Wolf of Wall Street right now. <laughs> yeah, this isn't how he normally looks all the time. Yeah, I don't always dress like this. I, I think it looks pretty good. If you did dress like that, I would respect you. I'm cultivating a new drip. Mm. Don't respect and I think that this normally. might be a good catalyst for that. You know what You know what help? Like vibrant shorts, like pastel shorts. You know, I'm not wearing shorts, but he wears the whitewashed jeans, and I had yeah. these. I just bought these, and I was I, like, I better I wear like them. them. They look good. I haven't. I do. This short was, you know, I was thinking about that. Uh, anyway. The way we're going to be doing this, we all have one lock that we are going to automatically get into the top 10. And we all have one veto. So if you're familiar with the rules of the show, you know what that means. If you don't, well, follow along. Um, everyone's going to say what their lock is first, so I make sure they get put into the top 10 somewhere. To the legend of Martin Scorsese. Yeah, the best filmmaker of all time. According to Maybe. Uh, The Ringer. Alden, what are you locking? I, uh, I guess I'm locking after hours. I have to say that that is officially based. I do that one, so wow. We watched it, uh, I watched it for the second time this week, this afternoon, while Silence was playing on that TV. We had two, we had two screens going, and it was very weird. Yeah, that's pretty shot. <laughs> it was also Alden's first time watching it. Yeah, there it is. First time watching both. His lock. I wonder what Martin Scorsese would think if you like told him that. I'd get shot by Martin Scorsese. Sure. Uh, Josh, what are you gonna lock? I'm going to lock the Aviator. Oof. Into the top ten. <laughs> Into the top ten, Joshua. There's like a lot of spots in the top ten. There's ten spots in the top ten. <laughs> And one of them is going to be the aviator. Yes. My lock is going to be a relatively safe lock for what I do. Um, yeah, I'm going to lock Casino just to be safe. I'm going to lock Games in New York. <laughs> it's American Shakespeare. This is how I win. Oh, this top 10 is going to get nasty. So, uh, yeah, we've got four of the top 10 locked. After Hours, Gangs of New York, Casino, and The Aviator are all guaranteed a spot somewhere in our top ten. We'll start with myself, then Josh, then Noah, and Alden. You'll take up the rear for the order at number 15. Um, let's see, what, what's my number 15? I've got The Color of Money here. I agree. It is my 15. Uh, anyone else see Color of Money? I didn't see that movie. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I think it's kind of like an underrated Martin Scorsese movie. I think when a lot of people think Martin Scorsese, Color of Money is nowhere near one of the first ones that I think people think of. And I think uh, the main cause for that is it feels like the most like director for hire out of pretty much his entire filmography. Um, this movie was a very specific vehicle. <laughs> Wait, what, what else is more director for hire? Cape Fear, he only did. Oh. He only did Cape Fear because they funded Last Temptation of Christ. You, oh. Yeah, and the, the reason he also... He turned away from that uh, remake initially because Spielberg wanted to do it. And did you hear who he wanted as as uh, De Niro's character? I might know this. Who was it? Oh, shit. I, I just had it. Was it, it No, it was way worse. It was Billy Crystal. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman was third, and then De Niro, once once Scorsese signed on, he's like, nah, De Niro's gonna do this, because he does everything. De Niro's the best part of that movie, easily, so. De Niro's the best part of, like, half these movies. 
So, Color of Money, it was a very specific vehicle, very similar to Cape Fear, That now that we've brought that up. It was specifically intended for Paul Newman to um, continue the character he plays in The Hustler, and uh, I, which I saw after I saw Color of Money, and it actually is what will finally won him Best Actor, um, which is well-deserved. This was really late into Paul Newman's career, and I think one of his last like live-action movies. It was definitely toward the twilight years of his of his career. Yeah. His last movie was Cars. Oh, my God. Thanks, Alden. <laughs> I thought I was going to go into the movie not really liking it. I don't know. The the premise didn't really interest me at first, but I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to binge like these movies. Let me, let me check it out. And I found myself enjoying it and having a lot of fun watching it. I wanted to see where the characters were progressing. Uh, they, like, hinted the whole time that there was this tournament in Atlantic City, and I wanted to see that all go down. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great, and... I number 15 seems low, but I think that says a lot about the career of Martin Scorsese. I, I wholeheartedly agree. This was one I was kind of like arguing. Does it make my top 15? If it does, like, where is it going to be? And there, it, it was a tight spot. I do have quite the few honorable mentions. I've seen 23 of these movies. So uh, Color of Money making it up here is definitely no small feat. Yeah, I think I've seen like 18 of them. Mm-hmm. I think for what it is, it's uh, pretty much like a sports movie, sports drama, but about pool. And I think that's like a really underrated sport. There's not too many movies about it. That sounds cool. I got to catch that. Does it in a really, really good and interesting way. And the script is also smarter, too, because it's like the big tournament and stuff doesn't happen in the movie. It's all about the training and building up to it. I'm not a Tom Cruise fan either, but he was very charismatic in this movie. I think it's one of his best early performances. It's up there with like Risky Business as like just charismatic young yeah. Tom Cruise, like... Not better than Eyes Wide Shut. No, <laughs> A Few Good Men is his best movie, okay? I don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, A Few Good Men is probably one of his better performances. Magnolia, as well, is really, really high up there. It's the next live-action episode. <laughs> All right, Josh, what are you putting at number 14? I am putting something that is a certified classic for a lot of Scorsese fans. Please don't say, like, go. Goodfellas. No, I'm putting Mean Streets here. I I enjoyed the film. Um, I respect that it's one of his like early like uh, hits with his fans, but when I compared it to like the rest of his filmography, I just couldn't get it any higher. Alvito, I kind of want to nominate a movie that I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who has seen. I think Alice doesn't live here anymore would be a really really awesome 14, and I think in the same way as Mean Streets. Uh, I personally don't have Mean Streets on my list. It didn't make my top 15. I vetoed it for you, Noah, because I know it is one that you like. I don't know how high you want to get it. This is a funny story to me because Mean Streets, I watched the first half of it like a month ago. And like, mm-hmm. honestly, I got bored. I turned it off. I got, I was like, I think I was going to sleep. I was like, I can't even watch this. And I never picked it back up until like two days ago. And I watched it. And I don't know, the ending kind of justifies it, if you ask me. I agree. It's a great... But at the same yeah. time, it's like, you could tell you could tell it's like one of his first movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. You tell. Like, if you, nobody ever told me that it was like it, one of the first. It feels like a filmmaker that's still trying to figure out what he is. Yeah. Which I respect a lot. Like, I'm, I'm the man who put following in his top five Nolan movies, or whatever I did. I really like a director's early work sometimes. And the context of it, like, was Harvey Keitel Harvey Keitel when that movie came out or no? Pretty much no. He was pretty small still. Yeah. And so, like, he's good in it. And, like, there's too much, like, it's his gangster movie that he wants, because, like, you could tell he wants to make a gangster movie. But there's too many, like, weird little, like, 
don't know. There's too much, like, weird little, like, pathos to it, I guess. Yeah, I like that it's lower-level gangsters, because, like, a lot of his later mob movies are very, like, these are, like, the kingpins, like, these are, like, the top of the mob, these are the dons. Like, I feel like it's weird that it's, like, lower-level gangsters, and none none of it seems like, like, the American fantasy of the mafia. It's, like, totally different than the American fantasy of the mafia. Yeah, it is. A little bit back to my veto here. I put Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore for the same kind of reason. It is another movie that's earlier in Scorsese's filmography. Actually, he did this right after Mean Streets and right before Taxi Driver. And again, kind of like another director for hire type position where uh, I don't think like this was his script. He didn't really do too much with it besides direct, um, which if you like his other movies, you know he writes and produces or co-writes, and he usually has a much larger influence, but um, this was kind of another vehicle for Ellen Burstein to get an Academy Award nomination, and she's awesome. Um, I think Chris Christopherson's also really great in the movie, and it's very different from everything else he's done. I think a lot of his movies focuses, focus on themes of like masculinity and kind of like the psychology behind criminals or sociopaths to some degree depending on the film and i think that this is a really interesting take on like a working class mother uh a newly widowed new uh working class mother and she's getting a job as a diner she wants to pursue dreams of being like a singer and i think there's like a lot of really like well handled themes here especially for the time and especially from a male director that have aged it very well and it's got a bit of a cult following now as being like this uh, soft-spoken film in a very, very um, loud filmmaker's career. So we're going to put it to a vote. Uh, mean Streets or Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore? From having not seen it, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore is one spot above. <laughs> On your list? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore to go here because I, I can't imagine Mean Streets not making the top ten here. I don't know how far it's getting, but <laughs> we'll find out. Alice doesn't live here anymore at number 14. It was my number 13 for anyone who's curious. I only had it a little bit higher. I, I was reading its commercial. It was commercially successful. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big movie. I think it got like three or four Academy Award nominations. Supporting actor, uh, lead actress, and I think either score or editing or something. Moving on to number 13, Noah. What is your lowest Martin Scorsese film on your list? Shutter Island. Alden. <laughs> <laughs> You'll give me a movie. Yeah. No, he's got movies on his list. Uh, but I don't. I, I want to make sure it's a good one. <laughs> if it's if it's not a good one, we're stuck with Shutter Island at number thirteen, which isn't that bad. It's in his top twenty-ish movies. Yeah. Are you vetoing Alden? Yeah. Why not? I'm probably not going to veto anything else. What are you throwing down there? To the pit. Well, I think Shutter Island's coming here because I'm I'm going to put down Bringing Out the Dead. Why do you want to talk about Bringing Out the Dead, Alden? Is there any actors in it you really like? Nick Cage. Who? Nick Cage. Who? Nicolas Cage. Oh, Nicolas Cage is in it. <laughs> do you know he's Francis Ford Coppola's nephew? No. He is. They've never done a movie together. Wait, really? Yeah. He... yeah. Huh. They've never done a movie together? No. Look up Bring Up the Dead and see if it belongs on this list. <laughs> bringing out the dead yeah we're asking our live studio audience here in scranton pennsylvania it's it's covid safe everyone's socially distanced vaccined you know the part in monty python where they're taking out like the dead people yeah like, like bring out your dead um well our our live studio audience is doing some research uh through google um between shutter island and living out the dead i think it's interesting these are both kind of psychological thrillers in a way both is bad one is bad both 
are bad. Um, <laughs> one's better. <laughs> Both are bad. Dude, I, I mean, <laughs> why did you why did you put it on your list? Because he put all, all the ones he saw. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know what you're asking this man to do. Play yeah, he plays fair and strives to win, just like me. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but in a movie you didn't see. <laughs> I, I have, I think, six movies I've seen, and I'm not saying which. Okay, so am I supposed to be telling you if it deserves to be on the list? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, should, should Bringing Out the Dead be on the list? The summary alone probably was... I feel like... It's a mess. I don't think that I'd be interested in that if I watched it. I agree. Yeah, Bringing Out the Dead for me is the only one of Scorsese's movies that I feel is like dated in a bad way. Mm. I don't know if it was the first movie he did that was like digitally color graded, but there's something about the way that this film is like pre is presented where it, it looks very late 90s and it's very kind of like not in a good way. I don't know if it's just because Nick Cage exists in the movie or if there was like some new technology that was first implemented for the first time or something. But this movie looks like time stamped to like late 90s, early 2000s in the worst way possible. I also think Scorsese was on a hot streak at this point. The 90s are arguably his renaissance where he had like Goodfellas. He had Casino. He had banger after banger after banger. And then like the end of the 90s for him is this film, Bringing Out the Dead, which is arguably his worst lead actor in any of these movies. Like, I like Nick Cage, but he's not even, like, over-the-top entertaining in this movie. He plays it pretty subdued, and he's, like, an EMT ambulance driver that's going around New York and is having, like, mixed hallucinations of the dead and also, like, going under his own kind of, like, taxi driver moment. It's weird. It's not good. I'd rather have Shutter Island on this list. It's eerily similar to Shutter Island. Can we big fish this? The big fish clause? Yes. <laughs> we all have Dude. to agree to put a different movie here. So if we do that with the big fish clause, neither movie is allowed to make the top 15. Are we? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, sweet. <laughs> We've implemented the big fish clause. Now we need to come to an agreement as a team. What's going at number 13? I don't think Cape Fear belongs on this list. I also agree. I'm going to say it. The Irishman goes here. Yeah, you're not going to get in a unanimous agreement on that. Um, and Aviator's locked into the top ten? Fuck. I wouldn't die if Last Temptation went here. I would. I wouldn't love that either. I think it would be a little disheartening. I think Alden actually has a really good idea for what should go here at number 13. Do you like The Age of Innocence? Oh, no. no. Okay. I didn't see that one. It's not on my top 15. It's my number 10. I really like Age of Innocence. I think, again, Scorsese's one of those directors who really flexes his muscles of being a director who can do a lot of different things. And I think he does like a period romance movie way better than I think most directors who specify in that do. Um, I, I think that the cinematography of this film is very good. The production design, the wardrobe, all of that stuff. It's This was kind of like him swinging for the fences and Oscar bait, in my opinion. And while I don't think it, it resonates or it got uh, a couple technical, but he didn't even get a director's nom for this. He didn't get it's a like best silence picture all nom. Over again. That's kind of the thing. A big part of Martin Scorsese's legacy is he was not really well respected by at least as a director by the the like the guilds uh, for the longest time. And he never really, he got a couple nominations through the 80s, but arguably, again, I think his best movies were made in the 80s for the most part, 80s and 90s. And uh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't win once in that hot streak. And he made arguably some of the most groundbreaking American cinema films. So what I think Age of Innocence strives in is in its lead performances. I think that Daniel Day-Lewis gives 
top five career performances from him in this movie. I think that um, Michelle Pfeiffer gives one of her best performances in this movie. And I think Winona Ryder is extremely slept on in this role. I would kill to see that cast do any any other project as long as... A great trio. Yeah. I mean, three actors that I absolutely love. And Daniel Day-Lewis is like a, a legend at this point. Um, yeah, I think that this is one if you haven't seen. Again, it's dim- it's very different from his regular movie. But I think that it's cool it, it makes a spot onto our list. Because he does different good, in my opinion. You know, since you feel that strongly about it, I'm cool with it. I'm happy it's on the list. I really I really Is that am. almost your lock? It's a 13. I wasn't going to lock my number 10. I've never done that. But yeah, um, Age of Innocence, number 13. Sweet. That round was a mess. <laughs> I'm really glad I brought back the big fish clause, and I'm the reason that clause exists. You've redeemed yourself. I did. It took you 11 months of doing a podcast, but you've redeemed yourself. There we go. Um, Alden. Speaking of redeeming themselves. Speaking of someone who still is yet to redeem themselves, what do you think belongs at number 12? I think Josh likes this movie a whole lot more than I did. Did? Past tense. We just watched it. Just say what movie it is. It's Silence, yeah. Okay, I I didn't see that, but it sounds like it was good. Um, Yes, it's good. I feel like the story is a bit... You watched it with audio off and two other movies on at the same time. No, but I watched the first like hour and a half to two hours. What? You actually watched it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like. Uh, it was on in the room. He he paid yeah. attention to the first hour. I stayed which, up to yeah. yeah. I stayed up to like three thirty last night <laughs> watching the first bit of it because this asshole just rinsed it and makes me watch it. <laughs> I did do that. Yeah. I wasn't so, like, here for that. I I it looks incredible. Andrew Garfield is really good in it, but I just think everything together is not uh, the best package for jory i have to veto this if he was here he'd be like on the ceiling right now (laughs) he would be cussing alden out i think i'm gonna put the irishman here Eh, i'm not gonna vote it where's the irishman on your list uh why would i tell you that (laughs) before recording you're like let me see your list (laughs) okay you can look but don't 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 give it away disseminate the information Wait, I don't even see. Oh, I just... yeah, that's pretty high. Silence or the Irishman here, his two most recent feature films. Yeah. Going in at number twelve, um, we have a couple of his early movies down here at the bottom, and uh, yeah. so the reason why I don't think the Irishman like belongs in the top ten because most of the cast in it are Scorsese like regulars. You got De Niro, you got Joe Pesci, and you have other people, and like those actors are in much better movies in Scorsese's earlier work. I don't really see a reason why to push The Irishman any higher, while Silence is a severely underrated movie that got um, that got snubbed at the Academy, not only for Scorsese having Best Director, Andrew Garfield should have got that nomination yeah, instead I do agree of with Andrew that Garfield. Mel Gibson movie. And <laughs> yeah, Andrew Garfield puts in his, it's his career best, movie. best performance yes. in in Silence, no questions asked. I think Liam Neeson puts in like a top three, top four performance yes. as well. And he's barely in the movie. He's in like yeah. four very pivotal scenes, and yeah. It, yeah. they're the scenes that I'm most likely to cry to upon a rewatch. Yeah. it's It's so... It's so good. Like I, I just really want in the top ten because I really think it's just his most underappreciated movie. While The Irishman got a lot of love when it came out, I think it's well respected. I, and I, th- I like the idea that it might be the final like film for these actors, and I think these characters in it are kind of a parallel to Cor- Scorsese's career that he is getting older, like these characters. I respect that a lot. I think it's cool, but 
these characters and this director have had much better films earlier in their careers. I agree. I think what's really interesting is these two movies are his most recent as of recording this in early 2021. Uh, he does have Killers of the Flower Moon, which is shooting now and supposed to come out sometime next year. Is that going right to Netflix? Uh, yes, I believe that's a straight to Netflix as well. well I read that book. It's a great book. I read it last summer when uh, it was announced. And uh, it, if it's anything like the book at all, which his adaptations have been pretty accurate so far, um, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be a little bit more Western than we've seen from him, which is going to be kind of interesting. But mm-hmm. the story, the way the CIA is involved, or FBI, I believe, it's it's very cool. I, I think it might do the same kind of thing as Irishman in uh, kind of like more Broadway. The fact that Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be in it. I think him and... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be in it? Yeah, yeah he's going to be the lead and uh, Robert De Niro is going to be in it. <laughs> First time both of those guys are working together. Those are his boys. Really? Yeah. Those are they, uh, in, in a Scorsese movie. Damn. It's um, going to be stupid good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Huh. Uh, and where I think the Irishman sold and why I think it was received as well as it is, is again in that cast. I think the fact that Scorsese finally got to work with Al Pacino, uh, he puts in one of the best performances of his Twilight years, I think. I, I don't really know if we'll get a Al Pacino performance as good as this one again. Yeah, but compared um, to like if you compare his entire filmography. Yeah, right, right. If you compare his entire filmography. But I think what that movie does right is it does Jimmy Hoffa right. I don't know if there's going to be a movie made that tells that story as well as the Irishman does. You could argue that the day to beat a Hoffa movie. You could argue that. And I would, I, I would agree. <laughs> um, I don't know if I like it better than the Irishman, but I do like it. I think I like the way Jimmy Hoffa's presented in that movie better than I like the Irishman's portrayal. Um, but what the Irishman's really cool is it's like leaning into a conspiracy theory that the mob hit Jimmy Hoffa, which is pretty likely. Based off a book about that thick. Yeah, based off a pretty lengthy novel. It's a four-hour movie, and it's a straight-to-Netflix. I don't know how well it's going to age. I really appreciate that the Criterion uh, Collection has has published this movie physical. It's got a 4K Blu-ray release. It's in their collection. It's going to go down on the record as being one of Martin Scorsese's movies. Um but I think silence is one of those that's going to creep up on people in 20, 30 years of being like an underrated uh, swan song from a fantastic director. Um, I think his themes of struggling with religion is something that occurs in a lot of his movies for a long part of his career. And I think that silence kind of gives his final take on that matter. I don't think we're going to see him do another Kundun. I don't think we're going to see him do another Last Temptation of Christ. I don't think we're going to see another faith-based movie come from this guy. And I think it's important that this is a challenging of the faith movie. These characters aren't holistically good. These characters aren't holistically bad. This character turns on his faith in the third act and in a very heartbreaking way, in a way that you understand based on the consequences of the world he's living. And I think that silence is going to garner more appreciation over time, whereas I think The Irishman peaked the moment it dropped on Netflix. Yeah. I think it peaked at a really good time, too, because it was like Thanksgiving week. You could watch it with, like, with your dad. I watched it twice that weekend, yeah. 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 I disagree. I think it overtakes some of his worked i don't think it overtakes the irishman silence silence yeah i think it overtakes i mean i'd be willing to let it like if you said i don't know we have career like best performances in silence and we don't have that in the irishman like we have some good like the best performances in a while for some of those actors but when i'm ranking like robert de niro performances i mean the irishman is not like in my top five or anything that's true but i guess it all comes down to whether or not you think a 
decent performance by Robert De Niro is better than a really good performance by Andrew Garfield? I don't think it is. I don't know. I, <laughs> I think it, it could overtake, like... Andrew Garfield's a good actor. I have no problem putting it in front of The Departed. Or The Aviator. Or, <laughs> or Last Temptation. Or Casino. I'd put it in front of Casino. I wouldn't have any problem with that. I wouldn't. Like, <laughs> now you went too far. Irishman is a little is a little sacred to me. I don't know. I like it. Best Martin Scorsese moments. What do you think's making it from The Irishman? Okay, I'm sorry. I should have initiated my argument earlier. Um, well, I think that it's a huge movie. It's an epic. It's uh-huh. like a it's yeah. a giant like freaking like battleship of a movie. If I, if I could characterize it like that, because it's there's so many moving parts and there's so many people. And it's just, it's a huge film. I don't know how much, how long it took them to shoot it. But, like, the scenes that are staying, that are just, like, never going away, mm-hmm. are all the Pacino Hoffa scenes. But not, like, not even so much the personal scenes, but the scenes where he's, like, in a, like the trailer scenes, even. The scenes where he's in a crowd, the scene where he's watching television, and what happens? JFK gets killed. Is that JFK? I, that's one of the scenes. Yeah. Is that when he refused to put the flag at half mass or That's something? That's based. <laughs> Sorry. And I mean, even some of the parts with, um, with De Niro, where he's like older in the nursing home, and like mm-hmm. it was drawn out at the end, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. But some of those yeah. parts were pretty important because at least he tried to take a personal take on De Niro's life. I love the closing shot where he's looking at the Cree in the door. I think it's oh, very yeah. like simple but it's also kind of like scary at the same time mm-hmm. and the prison shots are really good mm-hmm. all, basically all the prison sequences the prison sequence with um hoffa's in jail and then the prison sequence at the end where he takes from you know the restaurant in pittston where they're eating yeah wine and bread and then yeah. they go to the end and then they're doing the same thing in prison of course we had an nepa shout out yeah Woo! shout out to pa specifically the northeastern quadrant Russell Buffalino and Robert De Niro bet on I-80 going west. <laughs> I wonder if that's actually true. <laughs> I'm going to believe your word for it. Um, also, this of course says his best shot film, Silence. I think it's the best looking. Um, he got like ancient Japan like uh, done like so accurately. Uh, note for the editor, uh, 1650 is not ancient Japan, but it's old enough. It's 500-something years ago. I meant to say like 1630s Japan. Feudal Japan is... is... Scorsese represented 630s Japan. One thing that I really think is cool, too, the behind-the-scenes for um, Silence are incredible. Um, they shot it during monsoon season in Japan, which is brutal, wow. especially if you're an 81-year-old filmmaker. Yeah. Um, Martin Scorsese's been making movies forever, and uh, the fact that he's out here doing a movie that is as big as Silence, I mean, in terms of the number of shots, I think in, if we're calling The Irishman an epic, I agree, especially because of its runtime. The story spans like three decades, I think. Like It's a, it's a girthy movie. Yeah. Uh, Silence also covers a lot of ground in terms of shots shot composition in terms of locations they're filming in japan and they're making it look like it's feudalism is still there i I think that it's also very very ambitious for a movie that he's been trying to make for the better part of his career um this silence and uh the last temptation of christ were both books that he read in his like early 
I think it was like his early 30 or early late 30s early 40s and he immediately wanted to fund Last Temptation of Christ and Silence was like another dream idea and after the coming and going of the Last Temptation of Christ he was always pitching Silence to studio executives always trying to get that the story it he wanted to tell and I think he does the adaptation from the book pretty well. I haven't read the whole book. I cliff notes it. Um, but he does make a r few really bold changes, especially to the ending, that I think really like kind of leave his footprint on what he thinks on the subject matter. And for me, that, that moved me a lot, uh, more so than anything in The Irishman. But then again, I'm not uh, an elderly man in a retirement home trying to, like, you know, live not yet. Lives, uh, as, a, as a painter. House painter. I'm sticking with my guts, and I think the Irishman goes here. I agree. I have the Irishman here. I think silence should stay here. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right, I'm calling Jory then. <laughs> That's a safe bet, and we already know it. But just for curiosity, uh, what sound? Which movie sounded better? Your call has been forwarded <laughs> to an automated voice messaging system. Uh, what's Kieran doing? Number twelve. Out of vetoes is this uh <laughs> we, we go in silence or irishman these are both probably in his top five for context he loves both of these fucking movies yeah. i don't know which one's higher probably silence he should have just sent me a screenshot of his list this morning so in a oh, tiebreaker yeah, scenario we could have made it work see that would be smart but you know we don't think ahead on this show <laughs> Where is the Irishman on everyone's list? Six. Ten. Six. Ten. Thirteen. I have it at twelve. Yeah. And then where's silence on everyone's list? Twelve. Not on here. Seven. Alright, I have it at four. I th Holy I think, shit. I think the average here is is very, very... It is okay. swaying toward Irish, Irishman should Irishman probably go here. There. Yo. That was a yo. I'm sorry. I... I I yeah, my top three and well, really my top five. I've shuffled around for days and nights. First time in duel of the takes history. I like your take better than mine. <laughs> what? Wait, this is only the first oh. time that's happened. <laughs> you need to check yourself, man. Oh man. Uh yeah. So number number twelve is the Irishman. I'm really sorry, everybody. Shop of the Irishman. I forgot when there he drops the gun in the school field. Oh yeah, yeah. That one's. That's yeah. like one of the best shots ever. <laughs> yeah, it is. The you're late scene is iconic. You're late is the best scene in the Gun movie. Scene yeah. is good and... Well, the Joe Gallo murder scene is good. Yeah. Uh huh. That's a good one. That got that was that was scary. That was very scary. No, that was bullshit. But whatever. I'm sorry, Noah. <laughs> I'm sorry. We bring you onto the show to just shit on you every time we're in person. I feel bad. First Rogue One, now The Irishman. Yeah, <laughs> I love Rogue One. I basically put them up there with like they're similar movies, honestly. I like The Irishman way more than Rogue One, if anyone's curious. <laughs> um, yeah, what number so are we on? We're at number 11. Jesus Christ. Um, Alden and I have both used vetoes. Noah and Josh, you guys are, are the young in the veto list still. Um, oh, I do have a veto, don't I? Um, mean Streets can still be placed. Um, but it's my turn to place a movie at number 11. Why is it Mean Streets? And it is... This is going to be interesting. My number 11 is The Wolf of Wall Street. I think that the Wolf of Wall Street. You've already taken his veto. You. There's one movie that's been locked that I have lower, uh, like considerably lower, um, that I think belongs here. 
but um, I can't place that because it's been locked. Wolf of Wall Street is my number 11. Um, and yeah, um, my take here is I love this movie, but I love literally 15 of Martin Scorsese's movies, maybe more. I think the Wolf of Wall Street for our age demographic in our era is going to go down as like one of the best movies of the 2010s. And I think that that's 100% true. However, I just don't think when you're talking about Martin Scorsese, I don't think this one's going to ring as his best for very long, if that makes any sense. I think there's there's more influential films he's made. There's more films that have already stood the test of time. And personally, I just don't like the way they handle the theming of this this rush to riches and this um okay what what are you vetoing and what are you trying to place i'm here? putting mean streets here mean streets isn't even in my top 15 <laughs> and there's two movies that are locked that are not in my top 15 so if mean streets is making the list number 11's a fine and dandy spot josh yeah, i i to me wolf of wall street is one of the best scorsese movies one and watchable movies yeah <laughs> one of yeah one of the most watchable. It's got a three-hour and ten-minute runtime, like all of his other great movies. I don't know how that's a yeah, watchable movie. You can watch the whole thing. What are you talking? Like about? literally, like how they handle the character, like how they handle the character, like it, like it's done better it, in one other movie. How they handle the character? It's so fast-paced, just like the character. Like it's more watchable than the Aviator too, because I just freaking watched that this morning. I'll tell you what. I mean, it's watchable. Yeah, you have to have a couple cups of coffee. We're gonna get there real soon, by the way, buddy. <laughs> So number eleven, Mean Streets. Number eleven is Mean Streets. Um, yeah, I'm cool with it. I think it's one of Robert De Niro's weakest performances in any Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. He's fucking annoying. <laughs> I really don't like him. I was watching it. I was watching it. It was getting towards the end, and I like didn't think he was gonna get whacked. And I was like, I was gonna text Scoop because I was like, dude, how does he not get whacked in this movie? And he got whacked. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the most annoying characters in Scorsese's filmography. I don't like him. Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. tell is good though. Yeah, Harvey Keitel is great. Who's the other guy with the dark hair? Oh, dude. Richie Carrillo is in that from The Sopranos. Yes, he is. He's good in it. He's really good. That's like one of his only movies. Yeah, it was like his first movie. Yeah. And he didn't, yeah, he didn't come back until, and I think it's like, I think he's in like a scene in Casino or something like that. Like he's barely in it. And then he, he does, uh, yeah, he does The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's Richie crazy. Carrillo. He's like good. 30 years later. That guy is a good actor, but he's an asshole in The Sopranos. True, true, true. Mean Streets, number 11. Good spot for it, honestly. If it made my list, it probably would have been around here. Now we are in the top 10, which means the movies that have been locked are now up for grabs. Guys, should Gangs of New York or The Aviator be number 10? Gangs of New York. Aviator. I don't think either of these are on my list. <laughs> At all? Gangs of New York is on your list. <laughs> I don't think it's on Nate's. It's, it, it's on my list. It's not in my top 15. I think Aviator is oh. perfect for 10. I think Aviator is also perfect for 10. Um, I do have it higher than Gangs of New York on my list, so I kind of want to hear a full-fledged debate here because it seems like both of you care about this movie enough for you both to lock it. Um, I love The Aviator. Um, I think I think it's a really good biopic on um, just on the character itself. And what I really appreciate about the movie is that uh, they weren't afraid to tackle a subject that you don't really see tackled um like you see like um mental health is like tackled in a lot of movies especially uh, around this time is when it was becoming more uh more prominent but ocd was not something i think that was really i've never seen in like a big movie before and the fact that i've watched some like behind the scenes for this the fact that they get like 
had doctors come in who uh, study this, uh, who study OCD, and uh, they really wanted to make it like accurate as possible. Because to this day, the general public think OCD is just like, oh, you need everything perfect, or you need like uh, only even numbers or something. But I, it goes beyond that, um, and I think the movie tackled that perfectly. And uh, I don't know if this is true. Does Leo have OCD? I thought I read something with that. I've heard that in the past, so I'm just yeah. I don't it. know if that's true or not. Don't quote me on that. But I think that's interesting too. I think it's one of Leo's best performances, a performance that nobody talks about. Yeah, I I think it's it's on a short list of some of his best performances. I I think that OC, that OCD is handled. It, pretty well in this movie especially since it's a biopic yeah. it's not mm-hmm. supposed to be like a, a psa about ocd um and i do think like they, they handle that disease well but i think what kind of is a little lackluster to me in this movie is uh like howard hughes is kind of known for his involvement in the film industry and as a movie about movie making i feel like this is just as weak as hugo in that regard it's like you would think a director who as as well respected and influential in the industry would be able to kind of show like the film industry in a cooler way. I know that might have not been like the point for this as I, I, think, I think the first act showed it where he tried to ask for like 24 cameras or something yeah. and that was like unheard of at the time. Yeah. Well, it's ironic cuz the Shutter Island um stigmatizes mental health. Yeah. Like, really sick of the freaking like asylum trope. That, that's why I was like, oh, I can't do that movie anymore. I mean, unfortunately, it's period accurate. Oh, yeah, and you study you study psychology. So, like, what was your take on The Aviator, actually? The Aviator? Yeah, I thought it was pretty accurate. Yeah. I thought it was pretty accurate to somebody who's OCD, mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand. But also, probably, like, a comorbid agoraphobia and maybe even, like, schizoaffective disorder. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I like, too, in the movie that they weren't afraid to show that people, like, there's no scene where they're like, hey, you have this no like nobody ever figured out yeah. that he had ocd yeah, yeah he went yeah. undiagnosed kind of yeah that nobody was ever like all right we need to see like a psychiatrist like yeah he it just more wasn't than like anybody in the world yeah it just wasn't a thing back then and i think like and you see the downfall of somebody and like i looked up and, like did that actually happen it's like yeah he was in a hotel room for the last like couple of years of his life yeah he was just stuck in there and that's terrifying yeah, it's crazy. It's it's really unbelievable, and it's like sad too. Yeah, Except at yeah. the it's really end, sad. at the end, you get mixed messages though, because you don't really understand like what his lifestyle was. I I think the final shot's kind of sad because you kind of just see like the pain in his eyes, and you know, because you might not know, but for some somebody who knows the life of that man, you know that Howard it's not going to end well for him. Yeah, Howard Hughes. Yeah, it's very tragic like story, and I think it's interesting. We see rags to riches tales. I think like a lot in in. Scorsese's filmography. This is like the only one that I can think of. It's with like riches to rags. It's like this guy yeah. falls and and succumbs. But I want to hear about Gangs of New York and why it's a better movie than The Aviator. Because I definitely think if we're talking about watchable, I think yeah. it's up there as one of his most watchable movies. It's I think it's very fun from front to end. Extremely entertaining. It's American Shakespeare. Is what it is. <laughs> yeah, that was the premise. It chooses to be. Is it based on any truth? Like, very, very loosely. It was a real person. Horace mm-hmm. really was a real person. Yeah. Work was really shitty. Liam Neeson's um, character was real, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Bill Cutting was probably real. But anyway, um... I think it has, like, real elements, but I don't think it chooses to portray it in the realistic sense. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It takes That's the itself, fun of it. And it allows it to be, like, a little bit of a fantasy, mm-hmm. which allows oh, yeah, yeah. it to be, like, poetic and to have this narrative... 
that seems all like interconnected and it sort of allows like a semi-true story that like you want it to be realistic and you could picture it being real but mm-hmm. it has like this little bit of suspension of disbelief to it and that is like what really i think makes it great i have no like evidence of this but if you told me that Daniel Day-Lewis studied pro wrestling for the character of the Butcher, I would not be surprised. This is a heel wrestler. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, like, weird because, like, it's not, like, a typically, like, good Daniel Day-Lewis performance. I think it's probably one of his career weakest because he's so selective with his roles. It, this is kind of just like his character from There Will Be Blood if that character was more, like, outwardly violent and sociopathic. Yeah, he's good. And it's, like, he is a villain, but, like... His, his, like, you he, almost even want to like him, too, though. Yeah, you do. Because yeah, he's do. so, he's such, like, his own, like, I don't want to say trope, but he's, like, his own character, and he takes it to, like, the extreme. And he, when he's, when that character's in a room, his presence is, presence is known. Like, like a yeah. Darth Vader, like a, um... He's got resonance. Yeah. Like yeah. a Macbeth, like a Richard III. Yeah. Yeah, he's Shakespeare. Um, I think this is one of wor- the worst Leonardo DiCaprio performances. Yeah, I'm not crazy about Leo take. in this one. It's fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just there. Yeah. It definitely feels like post Shakespeare in Love, but pre The Aviator. Yeah. Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. This was before he really like earned his salt. I think as a, as an actor's actor. Yeah. Um, I think he's got a couple good moments, a couple good scenes, but I don't really buy like his quest for vengeance either. The way it's portrayed, it's like. It gets there, but it doesn't feel like it's the driving factor, but I don't know what else the main theme of this movie would be. In terms of depth, I think that this is pretty shallow for, for Scorsese. It's very surface level. Yeah, yeah. If Liam Neeson was in it more, I, I like that yeah. character. and like The beginning of the movie is so good. Yeah, the first act of this movie is, is pretty well done. I can't, can't dispute that. And like I like the sets a lot. Yes. The set design is That's awesome. Especially yeah. The beginning scenes. Yes. Where you see that that uh, wide shot of like the entire like underground of the church. Yeah, like yeah. it's. Yeah. Final scene is good. Like the final scene, graveyard. I mean, the plot, as far I think it's relatively well paced. Mm-hmm. Pacing could be a little bit better, like towards the middle, obviously. Second act's a little weird, yeah. I feel like of all the movies that like that he has long run times. Not too many of them drag. Like we were saying, Wolf of Wall Street, it's pretty breakneck. Goodfellas, same kind of way. It's like it mm-hmm. moves from it one scene to the next. It moves along. This one kind of lingers a bit in that second act, and I don't think it's necessarily bad that it does that. It's just it doesn't feel like it's his most paced. I feel like you could cut 20 minutes out of this movie, and it would just feel more like fun action-oriented movie. In many ways, it's like, well, like I said, it's American Shakespeare, but like it's kind of representative of a Scorsese-type thing because it like sort of (laughs) fantasizes or like a little bit fictionalizes like a major american event the riot of new york during Mm -hmm. the civil war um it's i think it's interesting too where the final battle you think it's building up to this climax and it kind of gets overshadowed by the riot and what is going on outside of it so it's like symbolism of the greater political strife that is happening at the same time not to mention, I mean, Bill Cutting's some of his dialogue is so, is so good. I mean, it's almost monologue at some point yeah. when he's talking about different things, especially like the immigrant policies and the nativism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I they mean, send them like right to the Civil War when they come yeah, to America. Exactly. And it's so intriguing because it's something that I don't to that, America. I mean, I don't know. I'm interested in the Civil War. I've watched a lot of stuff about the Civil War about that period. Oh, yeah. I remember you were a big Civil War stand in middle school. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just remembered that? <laughs> but anyway, um, 
of the period, and like I've never seen anything like it that depicted it in like Oscar quality filmmaking. Definitely not a, a city fo- like a movie focused on a northern city That's during that time. Yeah, like I I can't think of another movie that does that. I think um, I need to watch this. Yeah, I think you would like it. The first time I watched. Alden, you would really like this movie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I really am glad that this show has like made me watch a lot of shows. <laughs> a year in, and you just figured this out. <laughs> Gonna be honest, there there's a lot of times where I just didn't care. We know. Yeah, is this is Alden's pipe this bomb. Is, I want to say that this is one of them. Cut the mic. Cut the mic. <laughs> but I just I did I wasn't prepared. I it's planned okay. this trip two days before I came here. It's all right. At least you followed through. It's on a HBO Max, I believe. It is. Yeah. Okay. I watched it last week. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to cast my vote here now. I think Gangs of New York deserves to stay alive a little bit longer. I I think The Aviator belongs here at number 10. I Yeah, I'm agreeing with that. That's fine. You really sold gang, uh, Gangs of New York. The other thing I want to say about The Aviator that I was thinking about today I was watching it is that it shows that like like his mental illness wasn't just about like him. It was also about the world around him yeah. that he lived in. Mm-hmm. Because when he mm-hmm. goes to... Catherine Hepburn's house, her family is like fucking obnoxious, dude. That really pisses me off. That part. yeah, I was like, oh my god, like it's the most like relatable scene, yeah, at least to me. Yeah. Like I would want to like get out of there too. Noah's the only one with the veto left. Damn, we I could have got away with two vetoes this episode. <laughs> and then I big fished it. I've t- I've I've Tom Brady this whole episode. You have, you have. I'm, I'm not unsatisfied with my use of my Vita. Josh, it is your turn to nominate a movie at number nine. Noah, can I see your list for a second? Gang, you read a very passionate take about Gangs of New York, and I want to see if there's anything I could put lower than that, because I know it's your number three. Gangs of New York is my Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little better than Attack of the Clones. It's way better than Attack of the Clones, but they're both oddly Shakespearean in a way. They're actually very similar <laughs> movies. <laughs> <laughs> shout outs to m2j2 by the way for sponsoring today's episode getting us the Wait. highest quality microphones available in scranton pa right. if you haven't already check out m2j2 project uh mikhail joined us for the VeggieTales ranking last week uh f- favorite episode so far so funny hopefully this tops it I-, I really hope we get this top five right who knows i will do this nate <laughs> i will do this if You're the one who what, did. You're the one who started this. Just what are you nominating here at number nine, Joshua? Never called you Joshua before. It felt kind of weird. Nate and jo- both Nate and Noah kind of just agreed into my ear, and Noah had a really good take. So, out of the kindness of my heart, I will put the Departed here. It is my number six. Oh shit! We're gonna put Gangs in New York above the Departed. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sold. No, no, no. I'm sold. <laughs> What's the swan song here on The Departed? The only movie that Martin Scorsese says he has won Best Director for. It's uh, Mark Wahlberg's best movie. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Me- it is yeah. Mark Wahlberg's best movie. One of the best endings to a Scorsese movie. I think. Movie. In I terms feel like of... I've said that a couple times this I, maybe episode. It's just, maybe it's just me because I've seen it so many times that I don't like it anymore. 
Jack Nicholson is the movie, in my opinion. I think like the stuff with like the whole like it's a double rat scenario. The 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 what FBI has a rat in on the mob, and the mob has a rat in with the FBI or with the cops. It's a very cool premise, and it's it's really it's really like oh okay, this is gonna have some good drama. This movie only exists to be Jack Nicholson's like final good performance. Is it um, better than um... the Irishman? While you think of that, I just realized I've actually seen this movie. <laughs> um, Good so, job, Alden. Yeah. With, <laughs> you did it. With The Departed, I feel like Martin Scorsese has a long career of covering like East Coast crime. It's really cool to see him cover like a Boston movie instead of just a New York City movie again. I think that that's cool. And I think the way Boston, especially Boston crime is portrayed, it's better than any other movie that like comes to mind of recent. I think there's like Black Mass with uh, Dude, Johnny Depp. That is my Depp. favorite movie. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, I, th I think Black like that's Mass? the only yeah. one that's that a good take. the Boston crime scene better. Yeah. Um, and I also get, like, the... The Departed is based off of Whitey Bulger. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think I really like... I feel like Departed is kind of... Because Black Mass is so good, it kind of makes The Departed worse for me. Black Mass is super underrated. I read the book and everything. It's so good. It is. It is. It really is. That's... I, I did too, actually. I was working at the theaters. I, I think, think you're when that the came second out. person I know that Black Mass is their favorite. It's a good movie. Like I think it's very underrated. Didn't even get nominated for anything. Nothing. Not even hair and makeup, which it should have won for. Yeah, for Bulger. Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, that's also one of uh, Joel Edgerton, uh, Joel Edgerton's fa uh, best performances. He's like one of my favorite actors. Too. He's one of my favorite actors too, Noah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know we were vibing on this. Jesse Plemons, I like in that. Jesse Plemons God. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forget who plays TV Fleming, but oh, it's so good. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, all of this, uh, all of this black mass talk makes me really want to place The Departed here at number nine. I think it's a good, very good Martin Join Scorsese movie. Join us next time movie. when we rank Johnny Depp movies. But I really don't think that The Departed is a movie that only Scorsese could make, which is weird because this is what he won the director award for. Finally, like yeah. one of the most celebrated directors of modern history, of of motion picture in America. And he doesn't win it for Taxi Driver. He doesn't win it for Goodfellas. He doesn't win it for Casino. He doesn't win it for Age of Innocence. He doesn't win it for things he was actively trying to win that award for. He wins it for The Departed, which I just think is odd. Like, 2008 was a slow year for sure, but it doesn't sound like the swan song for this guy. It doesn't sound like his yeah. best picture. If I watch it, I'm watching it for sure. Oh! If I watch it, I'm watching it all the way through, too. I, it hooks me in every time. It's a great movie, but all of these movies moving forward are great. You can't watch the TV cut of it though. The TV cut is terrible. The TV cut of all of these movies are terrible, yeah. especially Wolf of Wall Street. The Goodfellas, I can God, yeah. I, I only saw two fellas. scenes of the TV cut of Wolf of Wall Street, and that was awful. I never watched it, but it's it it cuts it down to two hours, but then they add commercials, and it's the same length. So are we cool with the Departed at nine? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Jory would have a very very interesting input right now. It's like we're seriously elevating Gangs of New York. <laughs> Yes, yes we are. This is what happens when Jory doesn't show up. He did call Gangs of New York Kino. It might be high on his list. Who knows? Yeah. I, who, Unless who he knows? forgot about it. it. Yeah. John C. Riley is in the AP theater, and he's also in Gangs of New York. Yeah, and I think I think John C. Riley's great in both. He's a great actor. He's so he's slept on. All right, we are moving to number eight. Noah, what do you think belongs at number eight? I had the aviator here. Um, okay. I'm kind of nope. glad it went. Uh, just to give you a reminder, the locks that haven't been placed yet are Casino, After Hours, 
and uh, Gangs of New York. You put after hours here. I didn't see after hours. So I feel like that's you do not. Eating, but I don't really want after hours to go ahead of some of these. That's what I'm thinking. If I put after hours here, I'm going to make an argument as to why. Yeah. Um, so I could also, yeah, I think. Could you approve me putting after hours here? It's my number six. No. Um, it's one of my favorite. Um, it's one of my favorite takes on a Martin Scorsese movie because it's very different from a lot of his other films. And like a lot of his films uh, are like very character based. And this one is all tone based. The characters mean nothing and the characters are pretty much nothing. Like for context, Cheech and Chong, like actually Cheech and Chong are supporting characters in this movie and a big part of the plot. Um, it's a, it's it, one of his funniest movies, if not his funniest movie. And it's all like dark black comedy. I think he only does that one other time, and I think that that's probably going a bit higher for some of us. Yeah, I th I think Gangs in New York could also probably go here at number eight. I don't know how high we're gonna get that, um, but yeah, I'd rather I'd rather see After Hours go than some of the other movies that are locked. All right, the After Hours is cool. I it wasn't in my top ten, so I'm kind of on Noah's side here. It was Gangs of New York was actually my number eleven, but After Hours was lower. Yikes! You really didn't like After Hours, did you? It was cool. I like all these movies. Um, I love the score. Uh, it's one of Howard Shore's best, in my opinion. It's very like synth oriented, and then it's bookended by like classical music. Um, in terms of like themes here, it says a lot about like male fragility and like um, like the anxieties of like being a man and like dating but also it's like it takes that and just makes it a farce it like goes off the deep end with it and i think yeah. that that's like really really cool and neat um yeah i i think that that is an interesting theme to kind of run with with a dark comedy and i, I wish it explored those depths better it does a little bit it hints at like a couple of themes like um like like heterosexual relate or yeah, like the comparison between heterosexual and homosexual relationships and also like, like BDSM and like weird kink cults that were popular in the eighties too, which is like really weird for Scorsese to do, but he was kind of making this movie as like a way to show that he could still make the movies that he was making as a 32 year old when he was 42. And he kind of wrote this in like a sort of midlife crisis in a way where he was trying to get funding for last temptation of Christ and couldn't secure it. So, um, yeah, number eight. That's all I really have to say about After Hours. It's one of my favorites, but I think it's, I think it's fine here given the context of where we're at. After Hours, number eight. No, I watched the whole thing. I just wasn't paying that close attention. Um, what did you like about it? The score was better than Taxi Driver? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like that could be a hot take, and I really like jazz, so it's a hot take for myself. But uh, the repetitiveness of this score was not as harsh to listen to as it is in Taxi Driver. Like hearing that same like one one riff is the wrong word, but no the, saxophone riff makes yeah, sense. Okay, the one riff from the saxophone that you hear for the majority of that film in Taxi Driver was so annoying. But like the the low and uh, kind of tiptoe feeling score of this just fit it very well and it was nice to listen to every time i heard it the absurdity of everything that he got into is hilarious 
it was hard to follow because I wasn't paying much attention, but I'm glad I wasn't because I had a lot of fun with it. It's also kind of hard to follow if you are paying attention. It's intentionally like awkwardly paced yeah. and scenes kind of repeat and and it's very like um like it's like a psychedelic narrative in the same way something like the Big Lebowski or or something like that is. Mm -hmm. Uh and it does it like before it's time. Like we talk about the influences of Martin Scorsese quite a bit and I think well, like then I can see a lot branching off from what he did here. Mhm. Mm I that I mean I guess the humor of this fits into mine so well that I just actually enjoyed it. Mhm. Mm um and it's short. Yeah, it's 90, a quick 90 watch. minutes. Yeah, if Almost I wanted exact. to show someone this, it wouldn't be, like I wouldn't have them go out of their way to watch a 3-hour Scorsese movie. I would choose yeah. this one. That's true. It's one of the uh, quickest run times he has. We are on number seven. After Hours just got placed at number eight. Yeah, I'm And pissed. the locks that are yet to be placed are Gangs of New York and Casino. Alden, to you, what do you think should be number seven with Gangs of New York and Casino still on the chopping block? We've got five other movies that are allowed to make the list at this point. I really like the idea of Gangs of New York. I can't speak to its quality. But I think I'm gonna put Casino. Um, yeah, you could do that. Um, here at number seven, there are two movies that I think are are now in this tier. Well, I think there's actually three movies in this tier for me. I wouldn't mind seeing The Wolf of Wall Street here again. I did try to place this at eleven. I know that got rejected with very very quick haste. Um, I also think King of Comedy. We're starting to get to that territory. King of Comedy I is King of Comedy. it's my number two. Okay, for context <laughs> here, Casino's my number one. I think Casino is Martin Scorsese's best movie. There's no way it's better than Goodfellas. It's way better than Goodfellas, blow for blow, and I don't think this is a conversation I should be having right now. We are at number, we are at number seven on this list. I think Casino at number seven would be a shame. Can I throw something out there? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was really high-pitched. That was uncharacteristically high-pitched for me. Hot take. I love this movie. Uh-huh. Taxi Driver? No. <laughs> Taxi Driver is not getting not, placed at number seven. Number seven. It's all right. It's all right. It's like its own job. I know. Taxi Driver was just as influential to film as, like, Pulp Fiction was to just the 90s. Get real. I really want David Lynch oh. as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> David Lynch, if you're watching this, one, why? Can two, I, uh, help us out. Can I say another title? Phone? Yeah, what do you what do you think could go here at number seven? Maybe Raging Bull. Yeah, I'm not crazy about that. Yeah, I also don't like that. I think we're talking about the top three here right now, and this okay. is number seven. So I don't know why Casino wouldn't go here. I can't Casino's my number eight. I do agree with no one. Okay, and we'll... Wolf of Wall Street is my number 11. Wolf King of Wall Street is my number one. Wolf of Wall Street is my number one. Casino. Showed his cards. <laughs> Casino is my number one. All my cards are on the table. Oh. Casino is my favorite movie. We're, we're doing this on a poker table. Wolf of Wall Street is like, might be my favorite movie of the 2010s. Okay, and I've already said that's a great take. I just don't think it's one of Scorsese's best. I don't think it's his cut above the rest. He has better movies. He has more unique movies. I'm not saying that Wolf of Wall Street is a movie that could be made by someone else, but I think we've seen like movies that have gone for a Wolf of Wall Street aesthetic tell its story better. 
I think movies like The Big Short and uh, Vice do the same kind of style where it's like... Wait, was it the Big Short was after that, wasn't it? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Two but, movies that are kind of inspired by Wolf of Wall Street. I think the editing style and the narrative style of Wolf of Wall Street inspired those movies to be edited and shot the way that they were. And the reason I say that is I think Wolf of Wall Street is Scorsese at his most modern. I think that's why it's it, it works like Goodfellas, where you can jump in at any time and you're probably hooked through the rest of the movie. And I think that's why it works so well on TV like Goodfellas does. I don't love the TV edits of these movies, but Wolf of Wall Street thematically just falls short for me because I don't think that Jordan Belfort feels like a real person in the way that this movie is portrayed. He feels like a comic book like dude bro. Like he feels like a Chad. And I get that's cool for the movie, but that's not who this guy really was. Exactly. Well, the I mean, it's definitely a caricature, and I recognize exactly. that. And I like that, but I, I like no that better in things that. like Vice. I don't vice didn't have like the permission of dick cheney to make that movie like jordan belford this is what he wanted it's so i think that's bad i think it's funny i think that's damaging vice was weird vice had like (laughs) vice had like two scenes that felt like they made sense to me Like, I'm not saying it's bad. I think yeah, it's yeah, good yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can okay. see that. Okay, can we compromise? Because I don't want to have this debate at seven. I'm yeah. trying to yeah, look yeah, yeah, at yeah. some of the other movies like I, in my list right now. I'm and... fine with putting King of Comedy here. I'm glad it made this That's high. I'm cool with it. I will I will sacrifice King of Comedy if Wolf of Wall Street gets elevated at least in the top five. I Casino, not going here. I thought we agreed on Casino. Three of you want Casino here. I just think people's if, if turn, it's right? if it's his number one, I really Nate. don't want to place Casino. Nate feels strongly about it. It's the us, it's the gangs of New York argument. Yeah, none of us feel strongly about King of Comedy. I I do, but I'm sacrificing because I feel stronger about Wolf of Wall Street. Guys, gang shit of New York has been on the chopping block since like number twelve, and I know Noah defended it extremely, extremely well, and I agree. But is it top? Is it top five material? Let's. let's I can't put, answer let's, this. Let's King, King of Comedy, but odds are I'd like Casino better. Let's put King of Comedy at seven, and then let's have the gangs of New York debate for six compromise well if it's a movie that you like as much as number two i don't think you'd let a movie that's not even in your top 10 beat it but now wolf of wall street might go here and that's a movie i like more yeah i already dropped my number two down so it's you should do the same honestly my number two was going to the movie that i truly like love and i think it could be my favorite score it might beat out the aviator someday as my favorite scorsese movie but the wolf of wall street i just think is this best work to me and i know that's a film bro take but i i love the movie i think that's just a bro take yeah yeah it's a frat bro take <laughs> yeah it is. all right king of comedy number seven i honestly thought it wasn't even making the top 10 honestly at one point it wasn't in my top 10 but i rewatched it earlier last week or earlier this week i watched it on sunday before i went to bed and it it is extremely like I know it, it takes place in the in, in the seventies I think when it was filmed, but it feels very modern, especially yes. on its in its takes on like celebrity culture and kind of how people view um, like people of influence. It's really especially the ending are extremely modern takes on like hype guys the hype guys culture. This is a big old take, but I think it's some of the best set design I've ever seen in a film. That is why I got so high on my list. Wow, that's man. I should watch it with that in mind because I was really paying attention to characters. Like watch the like the the offices and like the uh, the room at the end where uh, he's kidnapped. Like uh huh. I 
just love it. I think um, it's definitely Jerry Lewis's best movie by like a lot, by like a considerable margin. Um, I was very like nervous going into this movie because of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, but this is one that grows on you. If you've seen it before, give it a rewatch. No, you got to watch King of Comedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, number six. Sounds like we're between Gangs of New York and Casino. I want to hear. Let's let's let's, hear let's, he, let's have the death battle. Yeah, let's. We got the Gangs of New York stand and the Casino stand. Yeah, let's fight it. Casino's poor man's Goodfellas. I I see where you're coming from, but. It has some of the most Scorsese shots ever. Oh, yeah. In the same way that Goodfellas does, because a lot of the shooting is similar to Goodfellas. It's his most... Those two are his closely most similar movies. So, <laughs> I like, I th- when I think of Scorsese, I think of the restaurant scene, mm-hmm. the tracking shot. Yeah. Classic. And then, but I also think of the counting room scene, uh-huh. another tracking shot early in the film. Yeah. Exposition. Um, creative, really creative exposition. And then... I think of, you know, all the shots of De Niro and everything. Uh-huh. And then towards the end, as Pesci becomes more of, like, a force in it, and the conflict kind of arises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great parts. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, like, Goodfellas... It, Goodfellas is kind of missing that, like, conflict, though. That, like, open conflict. Mm-hmm. Because Goodfellas has more twists that you don't really expect. Yeah. And so... But Casino... I don't like... What's her name? Sharon Stone? I don't like her in that movie at all. Really? Bro. I think she's the best in the movie. She's not- Sharon Stone is the best female character in any Martin Scorsese movie by a considerable margin. You have Jordan Belfort's first and second wife merged into one character. You have the first and second wife from Goodfellas merged into one character. She's dynamic. She's fully thought out. And the real-life portrayal of the mobsters in this movie is so much better than it is in Goodfellas, than it is in... Uh, than it is in The Irishman. So Goodfellas, we'll get there when we get there. Compared to Casino, I really actually agree with that take. Because um, Goodfellas was over Casino for me for its pacing, but Goodfellas is almost like a play. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't know if anybody else had this take while watching Goodfellas. Um, I think it's kind of paced like a play. Not a bad thing. Mm. I I kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, But Casino is like... It, to me, it was like, I know Goodfellas is based on true events, but Casino is more felt like these are real people to me. I yeah. don't know. I mean, I think having it at number one is definitely a hot take, and I'm definitely trying to make a statement by by having Casino as high as I do. Um, but I think it's going to go down as being one of the more underrated movies in his filmography, simply because it's so closely related to Goodfellas. I think saying, oh, it's just boneless Goodfellas is a common take, but I like Robert De Niro's character in this movie way more. I don't know why the fuck Robert De Niro is playing second fiddle to Ray Liotta in a fucking Martin Scorsese movie. Ray, Li- Ray Liotta's kind of the worst part of Goodfellas for me. I think it's his career best performance. He's the most likable character. Yes, and I think that's kind Not of... on the third act, though. Yeah, he rats on all of his friends and still yeah. gets nothing out of it. Yeah. At least in movies where characters rat out... There's not a lot that Ray Liotta does in that movie that I wouldn't do. Yeah, I think he's a good, like, character, like, a good, like, uh, like, um... Like, what I would be if I were And I I think that's why it works so much as, like, a play. Like, it's, like, this tightly written story, and we're seeing it through his eyes, and I, I... I see what you're saying. I think he's probably a more relatable character, but in terms of, like, having a full-fledged arc, it seems like he just goes from 
wanting this lifestyle to having this lifestyle to this lifestyle falling apart, him not wanting to deal with it, and then just throwing it all under the bus and becoming nothing, which to me is kind of bleak. And I really like seeing we, we see De Niro and we see Pesci in Casino. They're going to Vegas for the same reason. They are the same people. And where the conflict in this movie arises is those few gray areas where they differ. And to me, that is way more interesting than the tension in, in Goodfellas. You see this, this mob family fall apart. You see Pesci's selfishness overtaking the overall, one, the law, but also you see it overtaking his ties to the family, ties to the mob. So Goodfellas number six. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we talked a lot about Gangs of New York, but do you have any like closing thoughts to that that we didn't like touch on? Is Gangs of New York your number one? Oh, no. It's number three. Mm. That's high enough. I consider that number one material. All three of these. My top three, all three of them could be number one. Are we putting, what are we putting at six? I think it's between Casino and Gangs of New York still, really. Um, the only other movie that I could put on the chopping block that no one wants to hear again is Wolf of Wall Street, and I, I don't think I'm going to win this panel over with that. With that I'd rather take. put Casino um, how high do we all have The Last Temptation of Christ? Five. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, is that on your list? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have this? At 11. Yo. So, I really like Last Temptation of Christ. I also enjoy that. We could put that here. Yeah, I'm down to drop that right now. I'm not. <laughs> so what? Last Temptation isn't going to be on our list at all? No, it will be. It might. hilarious. <laughs> what, what are one of these movies that are left on here am I willing to sacrifice for Last Temptation? I think we And Gangs of New York is a lock, so it has to be. I think Gangs of New York goes here before we go out of hand. <laughs> well, then... Last Temptation is bold as fuck, and nobody talks about the movie because of how controversial it is. I think we need to elevate because I don't think it's as controversial as people think. I think it's a really, really good take on what the life of Jesus might have been. And I think beyond that, those themes can translate very well to Christians, both modern and and yeah. past. Plus, I love it because it's a slap in the face of the Catholic Church. Uh, yeah, anything that slaps the face of the Catholic Church, I'm all for. Um, check out our VeggieTales ranking. Last Temptation is... Do you like that the whole cast is white? It's not true. There's like a couple blacks. Don't let me go Ridley Scott on you right now, Alden. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they're not all white. Yeah, I was about to say, it's actually a diverse cast. Yeah. I'm, Harvey Keitel's Muslim, okay? He's he's Arabic. Yeah, I'm messing around. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> this is a story. We both went to Catholic school. This is a story we have heard probably thousands of times when we were kids. And we you listen until now. To make a story I've heard a thousand times still interesting and have me on the edge of my seat, well, I think is very impressive by Martin Scorsese. How accessible it makes it to the average person. Because like, you could read the Bible a hundred times. It's not going to be as interesting. Yeah, but this isn't trying to be a Bible-accurate take. No. It's a fictional story. It's yeah. like people want to hear the story of Christ, and they want to hear it. And... No, people want to watch The Passion of the Christ, and the churches reflected that. The churches took everyone to go see this R-rated torture porn movie, Passion of the Christ, which isn't a very good movie. No, actually, I've never seen it, so I can't compare it to that. Yeah. But that's, that's what the church kind of gave a soft permission to. The reason that was the highest-grossing R-rated movie was because of group ticket sales from churches for that to be as big of an event as it was and and i think a way more human take is the last yes. temptation of christ the yeah. biggest thing i get out of last temptation is that they were not afraid to show that this man was a human being and i think that 
it like Scorsese just wasn't afraid to just say what if. And I think that's awesome. Or this author, I guess, of this novel wasn't afraid to say what if, and Scorsese brought it to film in a masterful way. I think this is Scorsese's secret masterpiece that more people need to watch. I agree. I think I think it's secretly one of his best movies. I just don't think it's widely accepted to be that yet. I think either Gangs of New York or Casino belongs below it, and I would like to hear that to a vote because it sounds like that's what it's between. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound like Wolf of Wall Street is going to get placed below it, so I think either Gangs of New York or Casino should definitely be placed below The Last Temptation of Christ. I'm going to say Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. I don't want to make it a tie, so I'm going to say Gangs of New York. <laughs> Shitty. Yeah, we no longer have our studio audience. No. Oh, oh. I'm not totally unhappy about sex for games in here. No, that got a lot higher than it should have. <laughs> Don't be rude. No, I'm saying, like, you campaigned for it in a really awesome way. It was my number 11, and I campaigned with you half the time because your takes were really good. You did convince me to bring it further. You convinced Alden to watch a movie. That's really hard. In some ways, both games of New York and the Adaptation of Christ are Bible stories. Yeah. Gangs in New York's a Bible study or a Bible story. Uh, it's got religious themes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think kind of all of Scorsese's movies have those undertones to some degree or another. I feel like there's a, a lot of like the what is it in Taxi Driver? <laughs> you know, that's a hard one actually. <laughs> I don't. I think that's one of... Speaking of Taxi Driver, you don't think about that. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna veto Gangs. So Casino at number six. Rip my number one, but it's okay. I think that was justified. You fought a good fight for Gangs in New York, and... And now it's number five. Gangs in New York can be number five. I think that's really high. It's over my favorite. Um, <laughs> it's only one place, but that is a bigger accomplishment. I think that that is honestly the biggest lock I think we've ever had. That is... That lock saved it from the bottom five, and then got it halfway up the top ten. Other than Days of Future Past, which might not really count, this is the biggest... <laughs> that does not count. This is the most successful campaign on Duel of the Takes history. Days of Future Past <laughs> <laughs> the days of future past agenda was a season one classic it was a it was a serious season-long event every time that got brought up it was like the best movie ever which speaking of things that will never die the movies that are left on my list that are yet to be placed we've got the last temptation of christ silence raging bull taxi driver and goodfellas was silence never put on no holy shit that was my number seven that was your number four right silence is my number four so we put in silence here? I got Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, too. Can I make a proposal? What is your proposal, Alden? Well, since uh, this is going to sound like kind of shitty, but since Silence and uh, The Last Temptation are both like biblical themed, pick one. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> they're both going on this list. All right, all right, all right. Then you should have probably not forgotten about one. Hold on. We've got four spots left. So the way I see it, we've got Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. The Last Temptation of Christ. Goodfellas. Silence. Raging Bull. And Taxi Driver. We've got six movies we need to place in four spots. There's three. How funny would it be if Goodfellas was not on this list? You really need to put that Alice movie there? This was a uh, this was a snow day take there. No, it wasn't. No, Color of Money at fifteen is more of a snow day take than it is the only good female representation in a director who has fucking forty movies. Bro, all six belong on this list. 
All six will be on this list. Wait, there's four spots left. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Okay, wait, since they're both biblical themes... They both get number four? I, yes, they both are tied. <laughs> that is I'll, fine. I'll there we go. <laughs> Dude, as long as Wolf of Wall Street... Gets yeah. <laughs> they are. I feel like The Last Temptation of Christ might not be Scorsese's take on Christ, or on Jesus himself, but I feel like it is a take on Jesus himself. And then I think silence is his take on Christianity and on spirituality and belief in general. I think it does have themes of Jesus to or at least like the Andrew Garfield's character either like has like the same situation where like he thinks that like Jesus kind of went through with um Yeah, he's literally like thinking literally of himself. Through, he's as... literally going through what Jesus went through in Last Temptation, when you think about it. I think Scorsese tackled both themes of faith. Well, yeah, but instead of getting pussy, he's trying to survive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that. This is getting sloppy, but our, our number four is The Last Temptation of Christ and or and Silence. Okay. I think that's respectful. Cool. cool. Sweet. Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, and Wolf of Wall Street. I think Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas can share a spot. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street is a remake of Goodfellas. Yeah, they're very similar. And share a spot, too. <laughs> but I think... They are beat-for-beat beat structurally the same movie. Explain it. I mean, if you're, if you're going at the pacing, they, they have very similar run times. You kind of see the rise to how this person... I thought Goodfellas was shorter. Like, Goodfellas is 145 minutes, and Wolf of Wall Street is 180. Is Shit. Does anybody have Taxi Driver or Raging Bull as their number ones? No. That should be the debate here. I've got Taxi Driver at number two, though. And <clears throat> I have Taxi Driver. Raging Bull I have at four, but Raging Bull is, like, one of my favorites. So. Raging Bull is my number three. I think Raging Bull and Taxi Driver are the two Scorsese masterpieces. I think those are his two technically best movies. Why don't we put Raging Bull at three? Okay. And then one of the masterpieces will make it to the top two. I don't think we can have both in this situation because yeah, Goodfellas yeah, yeah. and Wolf of Wall Street are both Scorsese-like. Yeah, I know this show's about ranking the movies, but I want to talk about them a little bit because what I think really works with Raging Bull for me is like the main character and and really kind of seeing this view of this like this very very sloppy domestic life fall apart after this this successful career as a boxer kind of falls apart. Yeah. So it's like. The movie focuses more on the man behind the gloves. It's not really like a boxing movie in the same way that Rocky's a boxing movie. I think it's a lot more personal and it's but then again, like the cinematography and like the the shot composition, the like the choice to make it in black and white, it, it's really bold stylistically too. It's his only black and white movie. Yeah, I mean I agree. I think Raging Bull is significant. Um like you said, not only in terms of the boxing, but like just and the acting is fantastic. Um, and it's like kind of a simple story mm -hmm. if you look at it. But like you said, the things about like making it black and white, the cinematography, the narrative, which isn't necessarily like strictly chronological, mm -hmm. like it's not necessarily all tied together. The pacing is kind of weird, I'll be honest. But like, mm -hmm. it's it all just kind of works, and it's all based around Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the best vehicle for Robert De Niro out of all of these movies. I think yeah. I don't know if it's his best performance. But I feel like it's the best character he's portrayed, more most fleshed out. Jacob Mott is a real person. I don't know if you know, mm -hmm. um, which is really cool. And so I don't know if his life was life was anything like that. But like I said about Scorsese taking 
like parts of American life, specifically the American life that he was exposed to, and making them like fantasizing them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. Yeah. A true Amer- uh, Italian American hero. I-, I think it's really yeah. cool, like that the heritage of Scorsese plays a big part in in his movies. As a director, like or as like someone who's aspiring to work as a writer and a director in like the film industry, they tell you to write what you know or to like direct what you know. And I think Scorsese has gone about that in a very interesting way because he's told slices of Americana that he knows some truth of. Uh, especially Goodfellas, he grew up in the neighborhood that that movie takes place in about the same time period. And I think, especially with the first act of Goodfellas, you really see that. But where I think you see that in Raging, Raging Bull is you kind of see this this Italian-American hero. You see, like, the dark side behind him. And again, I don't know how accurate it is to the real life, but I don't think it really matters. I think that's just, uh, like, a slice of the pie. That's just one element of what works. Um, yeah. No, I, I think Raging Bull at number three is fair. That's where I have it on my list. Not to mention the last cool. couple scenes are awesome. I think it's up there as one of the best shot Scorsese movies, too. Um, I think Silence is probably my favorite cinematography there. Uh, Kundun, which is one I don't have anywhere near my top ten, is really well shot. It was the first one he did a collaboration with Roger Deakins. But cinematography of Raging Bull, it deservedly won. All right. So uh, number one and number two, we've got Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, and Taxi Driver. <laughs> Guys, I was trying to play Wolf of Wall Street forever ago, but between these, it could get the cut. If my number one doesn't make the panels list, should have locked it. That would be the biggest pro. I didn't think it would need to be a lock. It's the Wolf of Wall Street. Everybody my, quotes this movie. One. I locked my number After one. After 2013, how many people went? Mm-hmm. And like, how many? It's so rewatchable. Like, it, that's the thing about Scorsese is these movies yeah, can be like so fun. I'm not fucking leaving. Yeah, I'm not fucking... Like, literally, like, he, <laughs> he fucking gets up there. Like, who doesn't fucking quote Wolf of Wall Street? And I'm saying, people quote Taxi Driver. You talking to me? You talking to me? I understand. But, like, Wolf of... people think that that's not in Taxi Driver? Yeah. I straight up did not know it was from Taxi Driver until yesterday. Until <laughs> today? This afternoon? Oh, wait, no. no you watched I, it yesterday, Yeah, too. I watched yeah. the majority of it yesterday. But I, I feel like those same things could be said for people that grew up with Goodfellas in the same, like, part of their lives. Like, we were 14 years old or 15 years old when Wolf of Wall Street came out. Imagine being 15 years old in 1990. People were quoting that same shit. The fucking, you know, all my life I wanted to be a gangster. Like, the opening lines of that movie are so iconic, too. I don't think, like, Wolf of Wall Street transcends Goodfellas. So it doesn't transcend Goodfellas, but it shouldn't be in the top 15 Martin Scorsese movies? You're fucking high. No, it should be number 11. It should be right outside the top 10. I'm a little disparaging about Wolf of Wall Street. Go for it. It's definitely, like, the most shallow of all of them. 100%. It's Casino Without the Dead. It's so fun. I don't care that it's at number one at this point because I'm just fighting for this fucker to be on the list. So you want Taxi Driver or Goodfellas off? No, I think Taxi Driver should be number two and we have our first tie in Duel of the Takes history. Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) That's how I feel right now. You've drove me to here. I feel like I'm going... But I feel like Taxi Driver's better than both Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street. I, no, I think it's better than one of them, but not Wolf of Wall Street. I don't get how uh, Goodfellas is not number one. I have a lot of fun with Wolf of Wall Street. Is your number one Goodfellas? It's Return of the Jedi all over again. Uh, (laughs) Is Casino the Return of the Jedi of Martin Scorsese's filmography? I'd like to think so. Yeah, Goodfellas is Empire. (laughs) 
Taxi Driver is a New Hope? Yeah. Is Wolf of Wall Street The Force Awakens? I don't yes. Know. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's beat for beat the same movie as Goodfellas. Yeah, this kind of makes sense. It is Force Awakens. Yeah. And it's freaking good. And it's, it's a lot of chickens. Good. I will say, I like the editing of Wolf of Wall Street better than that of Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the editing, like, the music, sure, the performances. The music in Goodfellas music? is way better than that of Wolf of Wall Street. Goodfellas is the best soundtrack in any Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah, probably. Um, what a mess. Um, <laughs> this is the sloppiest top five we have ever done. Goodfellas is like your quintessential gangster movie, Sorry, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Coppola made Godfather, which was not accessible to the average person. Goodfellas is accessible to the average person. I think Taxi Driver is a really good character study. But I have both Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas over Taxi Driver. I think two is where it belongs. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think the influence of Taxi Driver is huge. Yeah. I, I th That's why I put yeah. it in two. I think, like, if we're going, like, you know, beat for beat, punch, punch for punch, Taxi Driver is the least accessible of these three movies. Um, I, I think the themes and, like, where the story goes, it, it kind of, like... In my opinion, I think a lot of people like the amb so somewhat ambiguous ending where he picks up the chick from the beginning in the in the cab. To me, I feel like that's one of the weakest Scorsese endings because I'd either like to see what happens right after that moment or I would have liked to just see her in the rearview mirror and it ends. Like, just a, a more quicker cut. It's not a good theory after the movie either. Like, you talk about it for maybe a couple minutes like we literally did when Taxi Driver ended. Like, the, it leans a little too much just into, like, the show-don't-tell where it's like, I think what really works about Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street is like the dialogue. It's the voiceovers. It's like, there's a lot of really cool, like the, in, in Wolf of Wall Street, it's the fourth wall breaks. Um, oh, yeah. 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 There's a lot of that like is, nods to the point. audience. Like, hey, are you paying attention? That's the best scene. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it is. I, and then, I do agree that like uh, Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas like balance the show and tell yeah. very well. Uh-huh. Uh, taxi driver, I guess, does show too much. I didn't really think about that until you said it, but yeah, I mean, it's like a movie for film people. It's like people who That's like movies. True. It's yeah. like it's they're gonna be like art film, like ish. It's not. Yeah, it's very much a product of like the French New Wave, but brought to America. Who and was it? yeah, Universal who did it. Uh, yeah, I think it was Universal actually. That was a stretch for them. It really was, especially for the time. Yeah, like the French wave, like, uh, well, I don't know, I don't know if this is technically French wave, but like, uh, what was the movie with Gene Hackman, French Connection? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's like, it was probably a little inspired by that, because yeah. after that. This was uh, four years after Easy Rider, I think, which was kind of like the first American new wave film in a way, yeah. and then French Connection was 71, I think, so it was two years after that. We're talking like post, I mean, we're post Steve McQueen at this point, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So then that's part of it, too, because it's like kind of corrupting the whole tough guy. Yeah, it's breaking down the action hero in a way. I mean, the, he, he wins at the end. People like him more in the end. They know who he is at yeah. the end. He gets newspaper newspaper articles published about him. He's seen as like a local hero. He stopped a bunch of gang members. But at the end of the day, he's not a good person. He's a horrible, no. cro crooked person. Yeah. And I think these movies all have like a weird duality with like Joker now. Especially King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. Yeah. 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 King of Comedy makes me immediately think of Joker movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's the best Joker. I gotta watch it and like compare them. <laughs> it's the Joker movie with the best production design. All right. So Taxi Driver number two. The American yeah. Film Institute officially wrote off Duel of the Takes. All right. So number one is Goodfellas. Unless you're a man, then it's uh, Wolf of Wall Street. 
I am a man. We watched. He did not. You didn't see this until a couple. Yeah, it was the first time I watched it. So you don't really I, appreciate Goodfellas for the masterpiece. I want both of these films on this list. I know you want both of them on the list, and I was joking about cutting Wolf of Wall Street. I've been trying to place it this whole episode. I've been trying to watch minute, because um, I was scared it would get a little too high. I really was. It has. It did. It did. It, it got too high. The reason I put Casino at number one is, personally, I prefer it to Goodfellas because of how it handles the real-life story, where I think Goodfellas deviates a little bit, and I, I think that's cool. Um, I, I think it, it works in the movie's favor for Goodfellas, but the fact that Casino plays it book accurate, but also, like, real-life accurate, almost to a T. Well, like it, I said, the opening with the tracking shots, I mean, it's almost like a documentary about how Casino was run mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. It is. And I think, like, the framing device of the voiceover narration in Goodfellas really adds to it being, like, an endlessly rewatchable movie, an end- endlessly requotable movie. To me, it takes, like, these different scenes that are all, like, in the psyche of what we think of when we think of the mafia. And, like, I didn't even realize this until we were watching it through the day. And you realize it a little bit if you're watching it the TV, the TV cut. Mm-hmm. But, like, obviously it's rewatchable even the TV cut. But, like, I hadn't watched the regular one until the other day with Josh in a long time. Like, there's even some stuff that's in it. That I can't remember exactly what. But it, like, isolates. It's almost like it's the same characters. But it almost doesn't even feel like it's all the same story. Like, it's kind of just the exploits of these people and, like, all these different events that <laughs> happen to them. And, like, but are kind of, like, still easily identifiable. I think it's really cool how, like, the the mob movie kind of, or I guess, like, mob movies and TV kind of, like, evolved. Because, like, we got Godfather, and we got Godfather 2 shortly thereafter. I think they're both masterpieces. I don't think they're accessible. I don't think that they're what people want to watch. Um, at least mainstream audiences. At least to my sister. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're a little slow-paced, especially the first one. Well, they're based on, if you've ever read the book of the Godfather, <laughs> I have not. I need to, though. The book is and then the second one manages also to be an epic, mostly because it exposes everything behind Vito Corleone. Yeah. Who honestly, we really don't get to see that much out of the first one. No, no. Not as much as we want. And so, it does that in a huge way with these, like all these different characters and tropes and like borrowing from literature. Yeah. Like the four brothers can be compared to the brothers Karamazov and uh-huh. all this stuff. But then, like, it takes, but then Goodfellas takes it and kind of, like, concentrates it down into what you want to see. Yeah, Goodfellas makes it slice of life. Goodfellas makes it relatable. Goodfellas makes you, at the beginning, like, shit, why am I not a gangster? And I think that's one thing that it does a better job of than Taxi Driver, is it kind of makes it look cool. And that's what Wolf of Wall Street does the whole time, and doesn't give a fuck. Where I want to place Wolf of Wall Street at one and a half... And Goodfellas at number one, just to prove a point. Wolf of Wall Street at one, and then Goodfellas at zero. (laughs) (laughs) This is the same thing. (laughs) I prefer the one and a half. (laughs) Because he likes Lion King one and a half. It all comes full circle. I can't argue against Goodfellas. I mean, it's it's unironically probably in the top 20 films of all time, like you said, Noah. I mean, you don't have The Sopranos without it. You don't have... Yeah, and that's where I was kind of going, is where I think, like, that slice-of-life element that makes Goodfellas so cool makes something like The Sopranos, like... Also, Lori Bracco is way better than Sharon Stone. You think so? Oh, my God. She's pretty good. No, I think think both these movies kind of made, like, crime cool to different generations. I really think they did. I, I really think that 
the generation gap between if you grew up with Goodfellas being around or if you grew up with Wolf of Wall Street being around, like, really speaks to these two movies. I think they're probably everyone's one or two, like, that, depending on where they're at, um, age-wise. The McConaughey scene. Oh, such a good scene. <laughs> yeah. so good. Like, it's like first day on Wall Street. And uh, can we, like, like, talk about how good Margot Robbie is and this is, like, her first big movie? Like, yeah. she... She is awesome in this movie. This was kind of like a breakout. 100%. The scene where they're at the dinner and she's like, we're not going to be just friends. Like, it's so good. Like, mm-hmm. there's instant chemistry there between the two characters. Um, I mean, can you imagine your first, like, big break? You're acting side by side to the vehicle that's supposed to win Leonardo DiCaprio an Oscar. Did you hear about Margot Robbie's, like, audition? No. no. In the scene where... um. I think she throws water. I could be very wrong, but they were going through that scene. Uh-huh. And in the script at the time, it said they kiss at the end. And she slapped Leo instead, right in the face in front of everybody. So bold. She read the whole script. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right there, she knew what the character was. That's great. She's um, an incredible actor. She should stop wasting her time playing Harley Quinn. Yeah. She was his queen, and God forbid. <laughs> yeah, no, but at the same time, though, I wish her character got more time. Because, like, yeah. in rewatching yeah. that movie, her and Jonah Hill are the two standouts for me. Like, I know it's Leonardo DiCaprio's movie. They both get lost once he gets, uh, or tries to get sober. Yeah. The non-alcoholic beer scene's great, too. That's one of my favorite scenes, <laughs> is when Jonah Hill... He's he's like, well, after, like, ten, it gets you fucked up, right? And he's like, no, it's non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> <laughs> The Quaalude scene, yeah. Quaalude scene might be the best scene, I think, <laughs> where he's like, I love how it's like edited too, because it's like, he's going to the car and then like, yeah. he falls down the staircase, but in the establishing shot, it's like four stairs, but he's falling down like 12. On the boat where he's like, I will not die sober. <laughs> another good scene, another really good scene. Uh, again, it kind of adds that slice of life element into like this world, the world, the life of like, uh, like this, this crazy Wall oh, Street guy. The boat scene where you have him and the FBI agents, who's played by what's his Kyle Chandler. Yeah. Um, and then the ending, they catch everybody, but he's still on the subway, mm-hmm. and it's a really cool parallel of this guy who did want to be on Wall Street, and that's a character we also could have fleshed out more as kind of like a uh, catch me if you can type of scenario where you could have kind of fleshed out both of those characters in the third act to kind of make it like a chasing thing, which I get they really couldn't fit that but that's the thing like the movie's like three hours but if if they snyder cut it and made it four hours and two minutes cool i'm down if it was just one like a one series like a one season mini series um which we haven't talked about at all um and i binged this during quarantine uh the scorsese produced show vinyl on hbo Anyone see any of that yet? I've no, been no. talking about it a lot. It's been on my list. <laughs> Jory and I have been talking about it quite a bit. Um, really, really good. Scorsese directs the first episode, which is two hours long. It's, it's pretty, pretty much a Scorsese movie, it's yeah. It's a Scorsese movie, but with a giant <laughs> cliffhanger at the end, and then the rest of the show happens. It does a lot of what works for me in, um, like, Wolf of Wall Street, but stretches it out to, like, a longer runtime. And if, like, Scorsese st- stuck with it and did all... 12 episodes or nine episodes or whatever it is and just made it like a one season extended movie like that would work so well for stories like goodfellas stories like wolf of wall street where it's like i just want to see like more and i think that's what makes them so watch like rewatchable like endlessly rewatchable is like 
hey, I gotta like, I gotta run that back. Like, let me see, let me see like that that scene again, or let me see that moment again. And they're great. They both really are. Yeah. Kind of normie takes, but I, I'm happy to have them. This makes sense. Josh, what is your list? Number fifteen, The Color of Money. Number fourteen, Mean Streets. Number thirteen, The Irishman. Number twelve, After Hours. Number eleven, Gangs of New York. Number ten, Taxi Driver. Number nine, Raging Bull. Number eight, Casino. Number seven, Silence. Number six, The The Departed. Number five, Last Temptation of Christ. Number four, Goodfellas. Number three, The Aviator. Number two, The King of Comedy. And number one, The Wolf of Wall Street. Cool. I'll I'll read mine next because I uh, what I did is I ranked all the ones I had seen. Um, so I've got 23, so everything from 23 to 15 for me is an honorable mention. We got Bringing Out the Dead, Cape Fear, New York, New York, Kundun, Hugo, Mean Streets, Gangs of New York, and Shutter Island as honorable mentions. My number 15 is The Color of Money, number 14, The Aviator. Number 13, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, number 12, The Irishman, number 11, The Wolf of Wall Street, 10, Age of Innocence, 9, The Departed, 8, King of Comedy, 7, The Last Temptation of Christ, 6, After Hours, 5, Goodfellas, 4, Silence, 3, Raging Bull, 2, Taxi Driver, and number 1, Casino. Noah, take it away. Alright, I have, I only watched 13. Uh, 13, I have Shutter Island, only because I wanted to play fair. Kevin loves that movie. Number 12, I have Cape Fear. It was basically a tie between Shutter Island and Cape Fear. I don't really like either of those mm-hmm. movies. Eleven was Last Temptation of Christ. Ten was The Departed. Nine was Mean Streets. Eight was The Aviator. Seven was Casino. Six was The Irishman. Five was Wolf of Wall Street. Four was Raging Bull. Three was Gangs in New York. Two was Taxi Driver. And one was Goodfellas. My fifteen, Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, fourteen, Age of Innocence. Thirteen, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. 12 is Silence. 11 is The Last Temptation of Christ. 10 is uh, The Irishman. 9 is Shutter Island. 8 is Casino. 7 is King of Comedy. 6 is The Departed. 5 is Raging Bull. Uh, 4 is Goodfellas. 3 is Taxi Driver. 2 is After Hours. And 1 is Wolf of Wall Street. What a roller coaster. (laughs) I do want to point out this is most of this. I uh, I moved. At least you found out you watched The Departed. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot until you guys started talking about it. And I'm like, this is very familiar. I've definitely seen it. Is that Matt Damon's best movie, too? It's time for me to read. Is that supposed to be blinking? The group list. It means I need to get through this in the next two minutes because okay. the SD card's about to run out of storage. Number 15, The Color of Money. Number 14, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. 13, The Age of Innocence. 12, The Irishman. 11, Mean Streets. 10, The Aviator. 9, The Departed. 8, After Hours. 7, King of Comedy. 6, Casino. 5, Gangs of New York. 4, The Last Temptation of Christ and or Silence. Number 3, Raging Bull. 2, Taxi Driver. And number 1, The Wolf of Wall Street. And also number one, a two-way tie that we'll be sorting out in the year-end bracket, going head-to-head. Oh, we are bringing that debate back. With Jory there. Maybe. Number one, also is Goodfellas. 
Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Noah, for joining us in the Martin Scorsese ranked. This has been probably one of my favorite lists. It's been one of the biggest emotional roller coasters for me. This was yeah. a great episode. This is going down in history as the first watchable live action episode of Duel of the Takes. You're right. I hope. Thank you, Josh Gad, for joining us. Oh, shit. Is that Josh Gad? The last great actor. How long has he been here? <laughs> when is Josh Gad going to be in a Martin Scorsese movie? Special thanks to Anchor.fm for sponsoring today's episode. And remember, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.